This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, we are hours away from my birthday, and uh, I love my birthday, by the way. Cinco de Mayo is my birthday, so tomorrow or tonight during open phones, technically, uh, it'll be uh, Cinco de Mayo. So we'll um, we'll have a little bit of a celebration uh, tonight on open phones, and maybe a little bit tomorrow, too. Let's we'll see what we do. Um, even though I'm not Mexican, Cinco de Mayo is a, a Mexican uh, day of celebration. So um, maybe we'll have tacos in the studio. I don't know. We'll see what we figure out. But let's get to the news of the day because there's a few things that happened today. Uh, a couple of uh, interesting stories. There was a rampage in South Georgia and uh, four people were killed there. Let's see what happened here. Uh, oh, geez, there's a lady beating a dog. Oh, that's horrible. And then uh, there's still the uh, controversy over the alleged drone strike. We're going to get to that with uh, General Tykert momentarily. But I wanted to um, really uh, zero in on on some some stuff that I've seen on social media. Not even new news, but older news. And, uh, and we're going to get into the full report a little bit later. But there was a, a report about a guy that was leading the charge for the end of discrimination in restrooms by saying anybody who wants to use whatever bathroom should use whatever bathroom they want. And this was, you know, a few years back, like around the time Trump was running. And it turned out that this guy was on the sex offenders registry. He was a, a convicted sex offender and people were on social media saying that the guy that's leading the charge for inclusivity and to end discrimination in bathrooms in bathroom selections is what they called it, right? If, if men want to go to the men's room, that's uh, discriminatory. But uh, the story was that this guy was uh, a child molester, a convicted child molester, and that he was um, leading the charge. And of course, Snopes and the fact checkers they all said, well, this is false. I mean, they were saying it's a mixture or, you know, partly false or whatever. And the reality was the, the, the only thing that was inaccurate was, you know, he was a, a sex offender on the registry. He, you know, they couldn't call him, I guess, technically in there with their criterion that they couldn't call him a child molester. But in fact, this guy was convicted of, you know, doing something below board with, uh, with a young boy. And it's been floating around social media, even though it's several years old. Um, 
I wanted to talk about. So we're going to get to it later because I think it's still an interesting story. And for many people, it's a new story because it's out again and it's being recycled. And um, that was that. That's just a tease for a little bit later. What I want to talk about now before we get into the did Russia do it? Did Russia bomb themselves and all that stuff is I wanted to just go over a few domestic headlines because there's a lot of back and forth on the debt ceiling. And again, the United States uh, constitutionally is not going to um, default on its debt. Right. It's not. Um, The debt ceiling is independent of this. Um, Why those in Washington do it can I can only speculate and say that, you know, when you have Karine Jean-Pierre, Joe Biden, every talking head everywhere saying, you know, America's running out of money. They don't have this. They don't have that. We need to make sure we pay our bills. We can't become a debtor nation, blah, blah, blah. Let's not be deadbeats. It sounds good, right? They know that they're talking to people like you, people like you that pay your bills, right? You get paid. Let's say you get paid a thousand bucks and you've got $1,500 in bills. You don't write $1,500 in checks. Most of you don't, right? Most of you write a thousand dollars in checks and you live check to check. And that's how it works. It's called being responsible. You pay your bills and the ones you can't pay, you call, Hey, look, I'm going to send you a check in two weeks or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And you rob from Peter to pay Paul. And that's how life goes for so many people. And the, the issue that we're running into here is it, they're just not being honest. They're not being genuine. So we're going to bring in one of our economists tomorrow to really break that down. But I wanted to just address it because it was just, it's so, um, they're taking advantage of our goodwill. The fact that we don't lie. So, you know, when somebody says, listen, give me the benefit of the doubt. You're like, yeah, we should give them the benefit of the doubt. I know I wouldn't lie. <laughs> so the, and they know that they know that you wouldn't lie. So that's why they do that. And they know that you pay your bills. So that's why they use this language. But the, the reality is one has nothing to do with the other, right? There's no default happening. Things, there are certain things that have to be paid. They just have to be paid. And they're always going to be paid. They're statutorily designated to be paid. And that's just how it works. So we're not going to not pay things. What they're asking for is new money, new spending, debt ceiling, right? You don't raise the debt ceiling because of your, you know, your mortgage doesn't just go up, right? You have your mortgage and, and that's that. So if you know you got to pay your mortgage, that's $1,500 or $2,500 a month, whatever it is, you pay your mortgage. Now, if you start asking for more credit, is it because you're paying your mortgage or is it because you just got a new car with all the bells and whistles and now your car costs more or you added a car because you're, you know, one of your kids just turned uh, of driving age and you want to add a car or, you know, your, your wife, forgive me for being a traditionalist and a sexist. Let's just say your wife uh, was staying home with the kids and now is going back to work and she needs a car to commute back and forth to work. So now you have a new car, a new insurance bill. So now you need to raise your debt limit because you're going to take on more debt per se. That's the same thing that's happening here. Every time that we want to spend more money to help Pakistani transgender individuals, or every time we want to, um, add a a new, um, a new sport where we will allow men to to participate in women's sports and whatever, what have you, that the government gets involved and decides to give a grant or somehow subsidize it. This is new debt, new spending. And that's why they want to raise the debt limit. So to say that we're not paying our bills, it's really unfair because we, we can pay our bills. The issue here is not paying our bills. The issue here is adding new bills and sticking you and me with the bill because obviously good old Congresswoman AOC all out crazy 
my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC doesn't make anything other than those cool hoodies that she sells for 60 bucks or whatever. But she doesn't make anything as a congressperson. She barely makes any laws. Joe Biden doesn't make anything except millions of dollars on policy deals that he sells and gets paid for under the table that Hunter picks up the money on, allegedly. They don't make anything. So if, if you have the government that doesn't produce anything and wants to reap the benefits of everything that you make, it makes sense why they're always saying, pay your fair share, pay your fair share. It's not really a fair share. It's an unfair share. They want you to pay for their spending. And it's a very bad spending habit that they have. So I, I just wanted to make that distinction briefly before, um, before we get into international affairs, because um, again, I'm not sold on this idea that the Kremlin uh, was attacked by Zelensky, especially when Zelensky, who, you know, he's got a video that he could run around the world with right now and say, look, with an iPad in his hand, playing it on loop, look at me. I just took a shot at the Kremlin. What's Putin doing? Nada, 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 not a damn thing. Right? But he's not doing that. He's saying, wasn't me. So if he's saying it wasn't him, I believe it wasn't him because he has every incentive in the world, in my opinion, to say that he did do it. It makes him look big, bad, and strong. So it looks like Putin's setting this up to make himself look like, uh, oh my gosh, what was we? We're going to have to take over another piece of land and hit these guys even harder. And I'm not falling for it. Anyway, we're going to get into that with uh, General Tykert straight ahead, plus your calls throughout the evening, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We don't attack Putin or Moscow. Uh, we fight on, on our territory. We are defending our villages and cities. We don't have, you know, enough weapon for this. That's why we don't use it any, anywhere. For, for us, that is the deficit. We, we can't spend it. And we didn't attack Putin. We leave it to tribunal. All right, so that is um, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky. Uh, undoubtedly, he was wearing either a T-shirt or a crew neck sweatshirt, which has been his official uniform throughout this conflict. And he says, we did not attack Putin. We did not. We did not. Then KJP, uh, the White House press secretary, she agrees and chimes in saying, no, we did not do it. They did not do it. We don't think they did it. They said they didn't do it. So all things seem to be pointing to Putin did it to himself. I mean, am I wrong? I don't know. I'm going to go to somebody who knows a lot more about this than I do. General John Tykert, uh, retired United States Air Force general and retired assistant deputy undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. He's also the founder and president of Capital Leadership. General Tykert, welcome, sir. Rich, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thanks. So I want to pick your brain on this stuff uh, because, again, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical of Putin. I don't typically believe him, but then again, it's not like I believe Zelensky either. But uh, it seems to me that this might be one of those things that Russia does to um, to try to create a narrative. What say you? 
So I agree with you. One, always be skeptical of Putin. And I believe President Zelensky when he said that it wasn't Ukraine. And I, I believe that for three primary reasons. Number one, I think Zelensky knows that such a bold move would invite severe reprisal from Russia. And it's already been a bloody week in Ukraine, and Putin doesn't need additional validation to attack in a ruthless way. But this would just invite something above and beyond what Zelensky and Ukraine could handle. So that's number one. Number two, I think that Zelensky is right, that this distracts Ukraine from doing what they need, which is focusing on their preparation for a counteroffensive that could start any day now. And they need to use their assets to attack supply lines and logistics depots and troop concentrations, not something like this that would be for show. And then number three, that they wouldn't have done something like this from Ukraine if they knew that Putin wasn't there. And by all intel accounts, it was obvious that he wasn't at the Kremlin. So I think this would have been a waste of assets in an attack against Putin when he wasn't there. And so I think all roads lead back to Putin himself. And whether that's to provide a pretext for further terrorist attacks, like he has been persecuting against Ukraine for the last 14 months, whether it's to stir up patriotic sentiment ahead of the celebrations commemorating the end of World War II, or maybe as a rationale to scale back the public participation in those parades, because he's worried that there may be some public dissent or protests that would come about in the middle of those celebrations that would make him look really bad based on a dissatisfied Russian populace. Yep. All great um, top line bullet points. And I want to go through each of them a little bit more in depth. And, and the first one is the, the one that kind of strikes out to me. I tend to think, right. Um, you know, my, my, my dad was a real man's man, old school Puerto Rican guy, you know, would fight just for the sake of fighting. And Putin strikes me as that kind of guy, you know, somewhat calculated, but you can't go and spit in his face. He's not going to take it and laugh. He's going to have to do it out of honor and out of, you know, that's just how these old school guys are. And I feel like if if we really did try to blow up the Kremlin or whomever, uh, Zelensky, I don't think he would have been so calculated saying, oh, it was U.S. Oh, it was this one. Oh, it was that one. Um, I, I think he would have been mounting his his response and being a lot more forceful. And he he doesn't seem that way in the video clips that I've seen. So uh, th that's one, too. Um, he wasn't there. And I agree. Why? Why on earth would they do that? But going back to that first point, um, do, do you agree that he would have probably um, had a lot more forceful response? Or is that just me and my pie in the sky thinking? No, Rich, I think you're spot on. I think he would have been enraged, number one, at the audacity of Zelensky and the Ukrainians to do such a thing. And number right. two, he would have been enraged that their defenses were so feckless that it allowed mm -hmm. in a fairly low-tech drone into the Kremlin. So I think if this was anything but show, he would have lashed out quickly based on the rage and the violation of his integrity uh, or his power that would have come from such an attack. Yeah, okay, good. So I think my instincts were good there. Now, moving on to your second point, uh, because I think that one was um, also interesting in that he wasn't there. So if he wasn't there, why on earth would you do that? Right. Is it I mean, I could understand if you're trying to take a shot at the White House and um, whether the president's there or not, I think that's still a big deal. Right. If you can say, hey, look, we 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 launched a rocket at, you know, through a drone at the White House. But there's that old saying, if you're going to take a shot at the king, make sure you don't miss. And I think most people operate this way. And it's kind of stupid because that was probably your only shot. So you probably wouldn't take it. Is that the rationale? 
Rich, I think so. I think you've got a one-time opportunity if you're really going to have the audacity to try something like this and you wouldn't want to miss and you wouldn't want to take a shot when the principal isn't there. And so I, I think that the intel was so obvious based on a security presence that he wasn't there at the time that the Ukrainians would have known that and they wouldn't have taken a hollow shot when they would have only had one chance to get the king. Now, General Tykert, your third point, um, I think, is, uh, is is spot on. And you gave two uh, analyses there, one of which was to try to drum up patriotic support at, at, you know, at the, the home team level. And I think to me that makes the most sense when you're like, hey, look, we're under attack. This is personal now. We're not over there, you know, trying to annex our old property anymore. This is these people are coming for blood. They're coming for us. And you've got to get excited and help us defeat Ukraine. Because um, from what I understand, and again, maybe I'm not getting the right info uh, from the the media, but it hasn't been an easy battle. And they keep replacing generals on the ground on the Russian side. And it seems like there's a lot of dissatisfaction with their military leadership. Uh, does that sound accurate? So, Rich, it does. I think that any time your homeland gets attacked, that you naturally are going to tend towards extra patriotism and support for, for your country. And so it's possible that that was the rationale. But I'm starting to tend more and more based on internal dissatisfaction with Putin to think that it was the latter piece of the analysis, which is that, mm-hmm. is that they've got all of these celebratory parades that are coming up in the next few days to celebrate the end of World War II. And those would be extremely embarrassing times for Putin to face protests. And I think to some extent now they can dampen down the public participation in those parades based on this notional security threat that will keep away those chances for Putin to look really bad when, frankly, a celebration like that should make him look really good. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And folks, I just want to remind you, we are on with uh, General John Tykert. He's a retired U.S. Air Force general and uh, former assistant deputy undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. And uh, our discussion on was this a false flag, was this intentional, was it self-inflicted, seems to lead in that direction. But I want to continue our analysis uh, beyond the break uh, because I want to kind of break it down a little more and get a a better understanding of, at least from your perspective, where where you think the the long term trajectory of this is because it seems like you know we've we've hit this milestone of you know the 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 length of the war and it seems like it's continued it's continued there doesn't seem to be an end in sight and I don't know if it's Zelensky looking for an off ramp Putin looking for an off ramp either one of them are looking for a major win or victory what that even looks like at this point and how much support either of them is getting from other countries. So, General, if you'll bear with me, uh, we will come right back. Uh, Again, General John Tykert is our guest. If you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDEZ. If you have a question, comment, or concern, feel free to give us a call. It's America at Night. John Tykert, Rich Valdez, we're coming right back.
Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen. since December, we estimate that Russia has suffered more than 100,000 casualties, including over 20,000 killed in action. It's three times the number of killed in action that the United States faced in uh, in the Guadalcanal campaign in World War II, and that was over the course of five months as well. So it's really stunning, these numbers. All right, that's uh, NSA spokesperson uh, Admiral John Kirby uh, saying that the U.S. believes Russians in Ukraine have suffered 100,000 casualties over the last uh, five months. Uh, meanwhile, you've got Russia saying that they believe it was the U.S. now, not Zelensky. I guess they believe Zelensky, too. It, it is uh, the U.S. that is responsible for this alleged uh, drone attack, or what they're calling an assassination attempt on Putin when he wasn't even home. Uh I don't even know where to start with this one. <laughs> general John Tykert, uh, retired U.S. Air Force general and retired assistant deputy undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. General, um, what what do you make of that? No, so there's a lot to unpack there, Rich. I think, first of all, the United States and our president has been very clear that he and we are concerned about escalation in the events that are going on in Eastern Europe. And so even if it was Ukraine, there's no way that they would have coordinated it with the United States because we would have given the strongest veto possible. And so I think that those words from the Kremlin are equally as hollow as the previous ones. Going back to the um, stress on the Russian populace and the dissatisfaction with the Russian progress in the war in Ukraine, it's good to remember that all politics is local. And while Putin and Zelensky have their desires with how this war is going to play out, ultimately their decisions are driven by local politics. And how dissatisfied or how adamant a population is to make a change in the direction of a strategy is going to ultimately play into the leader's decision. And I think that the stress point really is on Putin more than it is on Zelensky. Zelensky is fighting for his homeland. Russia is not. But Russia Mm -hmm. seems to be facing the greatest number of casualties and the greatest stress on their system. And while Putin has a tight hold uh, on the information space in Russia, there's clear dissatisfaction. And one of the trigger points in a change in direction in the war would be if that dissatisfaction within Russia 
reaches the point where Putin decides it's in his best interest to walk away. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and do you think we reach such a point where Putin says, yeah, you know what, it's time for me to walk away? I, I don't think he's there yet. And I know the world is waiting for this Ukrainian counteroffensive that we thought would take place maybe a few weeks ago and still hasn't, because Ukraine has been biding its time and building up the resources that it has from military offerings from Europe and from the United States. And I think the world, and especially the Western powers, are waiting to see how effective Ukraine can be in using these billion dollars worth of fairly high-tech equipment. And if they are successful, then clearly that encourages the West to keep supporting them. And it may be the point where Putin realizes that there might be a point where he cuts his losses and tries to make a deal. All right. That, uh, I, I, your lips to God's ears. I hope that's the case because this stuff is costing us a fortune. I don't think we've ever had a, a war that wasn't our own war that we've spent so much money on. I think we're at $200 billion. And uh, I don't know how much more of that we can afford. So I think so, you're So, right. Rich, just a, quick yeah. point, just a quick point on that. At least the yeah. numbers I'm tracking is that the United States has spent $80 billion in Ukraine. $50 billion of that is defense. But the thing that I really want to stress is that you are right. This is not our war. This is Ukraine's war. But that's far preferable to American men and women dying on a battlefield in Eastern Europe. And so while $50 billion of military equipment is a lot, it's still a small portion of our GDP and our overall military spending. And I think there's some major strategic benefits to stopping Russia in Ukraine and sending the signal to China that we are resolute in our defense of freedom and our stand against aggression that makes that money as expensive as it may be worth it. I'm with you there. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly with you there. And, and I, I hope that's the case. And I want to believe that, that that's what uh, Biden's doing. I, I don't always feel like that's, that's honestly the case. But uh, now that you mentioned that, because I know that there's a lot of support, or at least it seems like there's a good amount of support for the Russians from the Chinese. What's the state of that relationship from your assessment? So clearly there's all of the public posturing of friends with no limits, but I think China has been embarrassed by the Russian aggression and then aggression that hasn't been backed up with performance on the battlefield. And one of the things that I think the Biden administration has done well throughout this conflict is publicize in the right way intel in the right fashion that helps shape the narrative but also helps shape what the world is doing with respect to what's going on in eastern europe and i think the biden administration's publicizing of some of the possible weapons support from china to russia has deterred china from carrying through on some of that support to russia mm. and so i think that in some ways, that idea that light is the best disinfectant and by publicizing the possibility of China's support has caused China to take pause because they don't want to be tied to this war. They don't want to be tied to a losing cause. And certainly there is some benefit to publicizing that intel that I believe has stopped China from overt support to Russia. Interesting point. Interesting point. As I, I would have thought... Um and I think what you're saying makes sense. 
Uh, but you're right. There's uh, there's this uh, posturing that goes on, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of follow through with uh, the Chinese and their commitment to the Russians. And my my concern is always that they'll, you know, they're really a solid partner and they're going to help them financially. And it seems like they're every day. And if we just shift gears a little bit, if you'll bear with me, um, it seems like China's main goal is to be militarily strong, but to provoke on every level, right? Whether it's attacking the dollar, uh, the the uh, encroachment into Taiwan, uh, that one may be military, but military um, offensives isn't always their 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 mo. Uh, from what I can see, what's your take, Rich? You're spot on. There's actually a Chinese strategy that was published and implemented by two CCP colonels in 1991, 1999, called Unrestricted Warfare, which nice. essentially means that they are constantly in conflict in all ways, in all times, in all places, in all domains. And I believe they've been carrying out that strategy. And you're right. Sometimes that means that there's a military component to that strategy, but sometimes it's economic, sometimes it's diplomatic, sometimes it's legal or lawfare. And certainly being tied to a um, wartime criminal does not help their cause in their standing within the world's eyes. And so I do think they're carrying out unrestricted warfare, and it is not in their best interests or the strategy's best interests to be tied too closely to the losing cause that currently is Russia and Ukraine. Now, with this unrestricted warfare, um, it, it seems to me with all of the, uh, I'm going to call it hype, but it seems like it's more than hype, where you have now countries are actually signing up to say, no, we're, we'll, we'll go with gold or we'll go with the yuan, but we're, we're not going to go with uh, the dollar anymore to be the reserve currency for certain deals or certain contracts. Uh, we saw Brazil recently do that, and, and we're seeing other countries um, on board with that. Um, is this something that concerns you? Because it concerns me. So, Rich, I think there is a small block of countries that are hedging their bets for a potential future in which China is the dominant world power. But the thing about any of those relationships, as opposed to the United States relationships, is that they are extremely shallow and transactional. And whether it's Brazil or South Africa or India or some other countries that are out there, I think countries act in their own best interests. And I think they not only have a prevailing strategy, but a hedging strategy. But one of the unique American advantages is that we've got this broad and trusting network of allies and partners that we've developed over the long term. And as opposed to that, China's are extremely transactional and shallow. And so while countries may be doing some things to maneuver in their own best interest, depending on a future that they foresee, I don't believe that there's any major threat to a large group of countries creating a strong trusting alliance with a country that has demonstrated aggression more and more acutely in the last several years like China. Well put. Well put. I appreciate the analysis. Folks, our guest is General John Teichert, retired U.S. Air Force General and uh, retired Assistant Deputy Undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. He's also the founder and president of Capital Leadership. And uh, when we come back, I want to learn a little bit more about Capital Leadership and the work that you're doing there. So stick with us. And again, your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Our guest, General John Teichert, uh, retired U.S. Air Force General and retired Assistant Deputy Undersecretary of the Air Force for International Affairs. And he's also the founder and president of Capital Leadership. General, tell us about the organization. Rich, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Its mission is to develop the leaders that our nation needs. And as a result, I'm doing a lot of leadership development. I'm doing some keynote speaking. I'm doing some consulting. I'm writing a book. And really, the first initiative of Capital Leadership was a commitment I made to staffers on Capitol Hill to do monthly free nonpartisan leadership development. These are young Americans that serve our country with an oversized impact. They work really hard on the Hill, and no one is investing in them. And so I started that initiative back in October, and I'm enjoying the opportunity to really make an impact on our country across the aisle by helping develop these young people into the leaders that our nation needs. And how do you go about this? Is it like workshops that you're setting up or is it a one-on-one mentorship? How do you find these people? And I, I realize that I think, and I've said this before on this program and I'll say it again for your benefit. I think generals uh, are, are a rare breed in, in government service in so much that even if they are partisan it, it doesn't benefit them to be partisan <laughs> because in their role, you still have a job to do, whether, you know, the boss is on your side or not on your side. And oftentimes politics makes the job a lot harder if you're doing your job right. In my opinion, there are some generals that I think are that are overtly political and then they don't do their job well at all. Um, I would point to General Milley. But there's plenty of great generals out there. And I've always thought if you want to get somebody to cut through the politics and tell you what's really going on, whether you like it or not, talk to a general, <laughs> a retired one at that, because they, they have a little more freedom. At least that's my thought. No, so, Rich, we appreciate um, that um, confidence in us. Our role in the military is to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And if we constantly keep that in mind, then it allows us to avoid the ups and downs of politics, because those principles of that amazing document are what is important at the end of the day. And so what I'm doing on Capitol Hill is that I'm having larger workshops for these staffers. But to me, my life, not just when I took that oath for the first time at 17 years old, but for the rest of my life, is to maintain and uphold that oath. And I look forward to finding additional ways to do that in the future. But for now, I'm having fun doing the speaking, doing the writing, doing the consulting, and having the opportunity, Rich, to talk to awesome Americans like you. Oh, I appreciate that. And and honestly, there's, a, you know, our audiences, we're blessed to have a good audience, like six and a half million listeners. And and I think they really appreciate hearing um, perspective from people who've, who've served, who've been in that capacity, who can, you know, I give them the political aspect and whatever my gut reaction is, and you give them the the, the real deal, you know, the, the good, bad and the ugly. And, and I always appreciate it. So I want to thank you for being with us and uh, hope you'll uh, consider staying up late and coming back sometime soon. Rich, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. And I would love to. You bet. Well, thank you again. Godspeed to you. And folks, um, check out the general. Follow him on Twitter. Check out his website. Do what you got to do to support General John Tykert. Straight ahead. We're going to get to your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, so yesterday, you remember, um, big story yesterday was that Senator Chuck Grassley um, and, you know, not a political bomb thrower or even a partisan um, in the least, um, had some very choice words, as did uh, James Comer, chairman of of Oversight. And um, it was a big deal, right? It was regarding the possibility that President Joe Biden, and at the time he was then vice president, was not just selling influence and whatnot, but literally taking bribes in exchange for policy positions with foreign countries. And there's a whistleblower that says, hey, by the way, we have a document where we've uh, attested to this. And this is a big deal. Listen to this. We really need to know what steps did the Justice Department and FBI take to investigate and to vet the document uh, to determine if it's accurate or not. And did the Justice Department and the FBI follow normal investigative procedures or did they let political calculations interfere? So that's uh, Grassley saying we're going to get to the bottom of this and find out is there a massive cover up going on? with the um, Bidens, right? What is going on here? And uh, this is a a big deal, uh, a big, big deal. Um, We're going to get to some analysis on that with a former federal prosecutor. We're also going to talk about what's the latest in this. Are we going to charge Hunter Biden? Are we not going to charge Hunter Biden? There's, you know, speculation on the Department of Justice getting closer and closer to a charging decision of uh, the first son. And uh, this story, I mean, that should be overshadowed by this story with with Grassley and these guys in this letter and these whistleblowers saying that they have this uh, irrefutable proof. Uh, We also have a clip of audio from a guy named Mike McCormick. This guy worked in the Obama administration, and he alleges that while he was a stenographer, you know, uh, typing everything during the administration, that he learned about this criminality and... And he was blown away. And he says that this there is criminal behavior coming from Joe Biden. And he's prepared to talk about it and testify about it. Uh, listen to this. Yeah, well, Mike McCormick is uh, the clip that we're looking for. And you let me know when we're ready. Ah, boy. I would presume it was from yesterday. It doesn't look like we have that one loaded. So I can't play that for you, America. I'm sorry. Hopefully, uh, we'll get it before we end in a minute or two. Or maybe not. Anyway, McCormick is the uh, one of the, uh, the these whistleblowers. And boy, is this uh, an explosive case. And uh, when you hear what he... And we, we've played it before, and hopefully you'll, you'll hear it shortly. This is um, nothing that we should turn a blind eye to, right? This is one of those things that we should definitely take very seriously because it's not every day that you have somebody from the same party, right? It's not like you have a Republican going against a Democrat or a Democrat saying, oh, because Trump did this. This is, you know, the Obama administration. This guy was in the administration. And interestingly, 
he's decided to say what he's seen he's never seen before and uh, got to a point where he'd seen too much and said, you know what, enough is enough, and I'm, I'm letting everybody know. Because, of course, you have to question, why, why are you saying this and why are you saying it now, right? Because that's uh, the one's motivation is always to be questioned. But when you hear it, I think you're going to understand that he didn't think that things could be this bad. I think everybody expects politicians to be crooked, but I don't think everybody expects them to be this crooked. And I think that's the, uh, the rub for a lot of people. So when we come back, we're going to have that discussion with Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor, on both Biden's and your calls and more. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. We'll be right back. Hi there. Sorry for the interruption, but... Are you enjoying this show on Google Podcasts? You should know that the Google Podcasts app is going away this spring. That's right, going away, gone, as in no longer available. You can still enjoy this show elsewhere, though. Try out Spotify or Amazon Music, or maybe TuneIn is more your style. Whatever app you switch to, be sure to follow so you never miss the next episode. And thanks for listening, wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the uh, social media. And, of course, I welcome you to call this late-night National Town Hall Forum and let your voice be heard, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, Admiral John Kirby uh, was at the White House today, White House press briefing, cut number 11, and he refused to comment on any of President... uh, Biden or then Vice President Biden's involvement in a bribery scheme that was alleged by Chuck Grassley. Listen to this. John, I, I've got a question about uh, the House Oversight Committee subpoena that was issued yesterday. Um, it's seeking an FBI document from 2020 that, uh, quote, describes an alleged criminal scheme involving then Vice President Biden and a foreign national relating to the exchange of money for policy decision, decisions. Uh, what, what's the White House's response to this serious corruption allegation? I'm going to have to refer you to the Justice Department on that. I, I have nothing for you on that today. No, do you know what this is, what country this pertains to what policy decision i have nothing for you sir i'm gonna to have to refer you to justice department all right so that's uh, john kirby and again you know there's there's the typical denial of uh oh yeah look you know we don't and then there's the one he just gave yep yep got nothing on you that's the hardcore uh the lawyers have told me not to say a word <laughs> and i'm not saying nothing so back off uh that's that's uh, pretty concerning you know when you're dealing with um the National Security Advisor uh, spokesperson here. Uh, Now, this is regarding what we talked about yesterday, and I'll just remind you just briefly. uh, The House subpoenas that went out uh, on an FBI file 
questioning Biden's role in what they're calling a criminal scheme from a, a whistleblower that announced this whole thing. And it's it's a pretty big deal because they're alleging that in a tip, right, that that this this the Biden has a role in his family's business dealings in countries like China, Mexico, Russia and Ukraine. And now Republicans uh, in the House are saying that this file uh, pertains to potential wrongdoing by Joe Biden rather than uh, potential criminal activity by the first son, which is what has been thought all along is that Hunter was the fall guy. Uh, they're saying that this might actually implicate the president. The alleged corruption is believed to involve a country other than China. And the New York Post um, has reported that two sources say the whistleblower is not the same person as the IRS agent who anonymous, uh, anonymously came forward last month to allege a cover-up in a criminal investigation of uh, the first son, Hunter Biden. So this document uh, has been subpoenaed by the Oversight Committee, and it's what they call an FD-1023. It's an informant report that was created or modified in June of 2020, months before Biden even became president, and they're saying it must be supplied at a meeting on May 10th, according to the subpoena. So uh, I want to get into the nuts and bolts of this because uh, I've never prosecuted any cases federally. I know, I know that comes as a surprise to you, but I haven't. And uh, my buddy Doug Burns, he has. He's a former federal prosecutor, chief of the criminal division in New York. Doug Burns, welcome back. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate it. You bet. So I want to uh, get to the to the nitty gritty here because there's a lot, right? There's this Hunter possibly mm-hmm. being indicted. I guess that's a second story that maybe we'll get to in the next segment. But uh, right now, I'd like to to tackle, um, you know, what's what's happening with uh, what at least what's being alleged with this uh, kickback scheme uh, regarding uh, Joe Biden and and what these forms are, these FBI informant forms. Yeah, I mean. If you go all the way back to the beginning, when the New York Post, uh, Rich, first broke uh, the story about the Hunter Biden laptop, you know, of course, it was hysterically shouted down. Um, It was called having all the earmarks of Russian disinformation. You know, the listeners know that 51 high-ranking former intelligence uh, people said that. And and the point I'm trying to make is if you look carefully um, at the evidence all the way back at the beginning, um, you see some evidence of President Biden, you know, meeting uh, with his son's business associates. There's photographs of that and so on. Then you had a flat out denial by him. I've never discussed any business dealings with my son. So it's actually a very, very serious matter. Now, to the matter at hand that you teed up, and you're right. I mean, you have to be a little bit fair and you play it a little bit down the middle. On the one hand, Absolutely. Very, very, very serious allegation. On the other hand, you know, informants are informants. So you take it a little bit with a grain of salt. But the fact that they are going to try to get their hands on this report, as you said, is very, very significant because the report, as you also said, appears to say uh, that there is evidence um, of some quid pro quo, you know, uh, and that is that the son was making all kinds of money not only uh, from China, but from Ukraine, when he sat on the board of Burisma, made something like $83,000 a month, by the way, to sit on that board, which is just shocking um, when you look at, you know, normal board fees. And so the point is, you know, Biden is in uh, on some thin ice potentially, um, because the point is, if they can show that certain policy decisions 
were being contemplated because of the money flowing around. That's going to get real serious. Now, Doug Burns, I I, I want to say uh, I I always appreciate your analysis because again, you know, you, you're a real lawyer, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and you prosecute these cases. You're not a talk radio guy like me. You know, I throw bombs if I can. I, I do what I want. But right, um, right, right, you right. know, uh, I I call it like I see it, and I try to read between the lines. Um, and right. then I go to you to, to see, you know, how far my lines yep. can go. But I, I right. look at this and I think this is absolutely like off the rails crazy. And the only thing that allows Biden to keep walking around and smiling and squinting is the fact that there's nothing saying he can't pardon himself or his son. Well, that's interesting. Sure. And I think you and I have discussed that we discussed that uh, with respect to his predecessor and so on and so forth. There's a lot of very interesting sort of scholarly debate about whether or not uh, a president can pardon himself uh, or herself, although we haven't had a female president. But, yeah, you get the point. Yeah, uh, should we? Many right. feel me. Yeah, many feel that technically, technically, and I'll use that word, uh, a president could, in fact, pardon himself. We know, by the way, also another little pencil point that a pardon can be given before any charges made. You know, that was Gerald Ford with Nixon, of course. Um, mm -hmm. But the point of the matter is, is that the prevailing scholarship, though, is that a president really can't do that. And I think you'll find this interesting uh, because nobody can be their own judge and jury in their own case, which is kind of interesting. So, um, you know, it's a very interesting story with a lot of moving parts. I mean, you said something that really caught my attention. That is, you know, the real lawyer, you know, versus the media, not you, of course, Rich. But here's the point <laughs> in, in day to day real law. No, and I'm dead serious. In day to day real law, we frame up an issue and we say something like, you know, was President Biden involved in this? OK. And one side would argue vociferously that he was. Here are photos of him with the business partners. Here are a bunch of emails. And there are emails, by the way, sure. um, that show, show show interaction about the son and the discussing issues. One of the emails, he said something like that New York Times piece. I think you're going to be all right, son. You probably remember that one. Yeah. Um, and oh, then the yeah. other. And then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then the other side is going to, and you know, 10% for the big guy. That That's, you know, a pretty interesting mm -hmm. thing. The other side would argue, um, you know, he's not involved. And you go from there. That's, you know, the real lawyer, et cetera, et cetera. In media, what's so interesting is, you know, one side turns around and says, there's absolutely not a scintilla of evidence that President Biden knew anything about this or was involved, period, blah, blah, blah. And then the other side, 180-degree opposite, it's crystal clear that, yes, he is involved. <laughs> Smoking gun that in his hand. Yeah, I just find that interesting <laughs> as a lawyer because the point is you could really delve into thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of documents, et cetera, et cetera, and litigate this and argue it back and forth. But in media, you just get these glib conclusions. I'll give you a fascinating example really quick. I think people find this interesting. You look at both Trump and Biden, so it makes it easy because we can work both sides of the political room here. You know, okay, so they had classified material um, that they should not have had. Okay, fine. So right away, the immediate spin because of, you know, sort of baked in elitism is they did not compromise national security in any way, shape or form. Okay, that's fine. Now you get a guy who got arrested, right? Because he posted some stuff about the Ukraine war on the internet, right? 
Everybody yep. remembers that. And the immediate spin is he clearly compromised national security. <laughs> so, you, you follow me? And it's really remarkable that the media, they just, they, they, they take the issue, um, you know, and then they just come up with the conclusion. So if we were litigating whether the light was red or green, you'd see media articles. The light was clearly red. There's no question about it. And I just find that very interesting as a real world day-to-day lawyer. Yeah, right. You're saying there's a lot of gray. Yeah, in other in words, there's always a lot of gray all around. But on the Biden story, I mean, any reasonable analysis is that the media has, you know, provided cover like the front four on a football team, you know, blocking and blocking and blocking. And the point is, the 51 person letter was pretty disgraceful. It really was because it had a, had an impact on the election, in my opinion. Sure. Okay, they were very careful. And this is another interesting lawyer point. The wordsmithing, exactly. You read my mind when they said it has the earmarks of Russian disinformation. That was brilliant because they didn't say it is Russian disinformation. Right. And they were very cute. And I'm sure they did that on legal advice. Uh, but it was it was smart the way they phrased that. But, of course, again, in the media climate that we're in, everybody just immediately heard it as they're saying it's Russian disinformation, which is not an unreasonable conclusion, by the way. But if you parse the words like a lawyer, they said it had the earmark. So it's we're in an unbelievably toxic climate. It's really frustrating, actually. Yeah. And in addition to the toxicity, there, there's so much <laughs> lying. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. And it's absolutely. not even spin. It's just no, no, no. Absolutely. Lies. Just flat out bald face lies all day long. And it's interesting because I comment, you know, to my wife and others all the time that, you know, people walk around and are kind of, you know, they're affected by what they see, you know. So if sure. poor behavior, yeah. So if poor behavior all of a sudden not only takes place, but as you just said, Rich, becomes, you know, normal, accepted, you know, then people, behave accordingly. And it's, it's, it's a terrible uh, phenomenon actually um, to see that affecting people. But I mean, you see people standing there. I mean, the white house press secretary apparently the other day said that, you know, the immigration problem is 90% down. I mean, you gotta be kidding me. I don't know how they do that with a straight face. Seriously, yeah, Rich, how did they do that? This, well, this is what I'm talking about, that we've gone from a place where it used to be like you would argue the same issue from different sides to exactly, now we create yeah. cl- uh, like new truth out of whole cloth. And and I always go back to, to when it comes to this Biden stuff. Uh, all I can yeah. say is this. They were very um, you, either you could say they were incredibly fair with Trump or they were incredibly by the book with Trump. Right. But there was right. no way he was ever going to get away with any of this stuff, cutting deals with foreign countries or it, there was too much scrutiny on him now. And, and well, this is not a, a defense of Trump. Yeah, but I just want to say, but the point I want to make quickly is that when when I served in government and you served in government and and you were a lawyer in government so i'm pretty sure the standard was higher for you but i was just a, a, a sub cabinet official in a governor's administration and i can tell you that i was told and i've made this example many a times to my face by the lawyers for the the state they said the threshold is $5 anything that is perceived of a value of higher than $5 can be a a perceived um conflict of interest or even the appearance of impropriety. So the example they made was you can have one cup of Dunkin' Donuts coffee if it's offered to you, but you can never have a cup of Starbucks because Starbucks is always more than five bucks and Dunkin's usually less than five bucks. And they were like, use that as a rule of thumb. That's your thing. 
you know, uh, don't have the coffee and a donut. Don't go higher than five bucks because that would be considered a bribe. That was my standard in the state of New Jersey and the Christie administration. And I'm pretty sure every other administration because that was the state rule. If that was the case for me, <clears throat> I can't imagine that a president of the United States, a vice president, his son, his family, I had to disclose who my family members were. I had to let them know how much money I made, what investments I had. All of that stuff was on the record for me. Uh, I can only imagine it's that to the umpteenth power for a guy that's an assistant U.S. attorney, a U.S. attorney, or a sitting president, right? Yeah, well, uh, yes and no. For an assistant U.S. attorney, yes. For a president, no, and I'll tell you why. Uh, for a congressperson, no, ostensibly. For a senator, no, ostensibly. What I'm saying, what I'm getting at is... Two sets um, of rules. Yeah, in other words, you know, to be an assistant U.S. attorney, right, they comb through everything, FBI agents show up at your neighbors, you know, the whole nine yards. But, you know, we have this, again, same phrase I used earlier, baked in elitism. So when you go up really, really high, a lot of times, sadly, the rules are relaxed. Uh, and you're exactly right. If you go with your $5 rule. H hang on um, to that $5 thought, Doug Burns. I got to take a pause. The conversation got so good, we forgot to take the break. Don't go anywhere. We're on with Doug Burns, former federal prosecutor. We'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. With Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And there's a, um, a story about coffee I'm going to get to. But before I do, we're going to finish up what Doug Burns was saying about his $5 analogy or my $5 analogy, Doug Burns. Yeah, no, I mean, what I was saying, Rich, is again, you know, you go really up high with Congress members, you know, you could have a separate seminar about insider trading by members of Congress. You've heard that being spoken about recently oh, yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. There just isn't a lot of enforcement against super high level people. And that's a sad reality. Well, that maybe that's another topic we should, we should broach the next time you're on. <laughs> another uh, seminar. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that, that, that clearly is an issue. And matter of fact, um, uh, very strange bedfellows, if you will. Uh, AOC and Congressman Matt Gates are proposing a bill yes. to, to prevent just that. And uh, I saw that. Hopefully yep. we'll, we'll get one of them on to, to discuss it. And if not, then we'll get Doug Burns on. We'll talk about the legal aspect of it. But sure. Doug Burns, ultimately, what, what um, I guess in a, in a minute or so, yeah. Hunter Biden gets indicted on these charges. Um, does he... Do they sentence him? Does he do they delay sentencing so he can get a pardon? What do you think happens? Yeah, very good question. First of all, you know, everybody knows that they're tailoring it so that it's, you know, an individual tax offense and maybe you right. know, lying on a federal a federal gun form that will set up the immediate political sound bites of the president's son had some tax problems which have nothing to do with the president. Yada, yada. Um, right. Would they pardon him? No, they won't. Um, but they can't because that would just be uh, toxic. Jerry Ford, back to what I said earlier, he lost the election uh, to Reagan because he had pardoned Nixon. Um, so that was in, not to Reagan, to Jimmy Carter. Sorry, misspoke. But no, uh, they won't pardon him. But I'm not so sure they're going to charge him with anything. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, it's really uh, it's really quite a, uh, a lot of moving parts there. Um, and we'll see what happens, but I don't expect to see him charged anytime soon. That's just a minor crystal ball. 
Now, my thinking um, on on the Biden situation is while there may be a smoking gun, while there may not be, whatever the case is, I think it's all political damage, right? It's political fallout. I don't think anything really happens uh, because no candidate is sitting yep. president. Right. So what are we going to do? Anyway, Doug Burns, I want to thank you for being on and um, thank you for your um, expertise. And hopefully you'll be back soon. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. You bet. All right, folks, straight ahead. We're going to talk about coffee. Is it time to quit coffee for good? There's an article in Esquire that suggests that people are having anxiety because of coffee. And some even have it because they haven't had coffee. We're going to talk to Jill Robin Payne. She's a psychologist and she's coming up right now. Welcome back. And uh, I was looking at an article in Esquire magazine, and the title is, Is It Time to Quit Coffee for Good? It says a growing chorus of concerned former quote-unquote addicts are trying to wake people up to caffeine's negative effects. Now, listen, if you've listened to this show more than once, you've heard me talk about my uh, ritualistic daily visit for espresso at the Cuban place. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I've been hooked on coffee for a long time and caffeine in general. I drank a lot of soda growing up and I switched to diet soda and I really, I, I don't get by without caffeine. And this has been since I was really young. I blame my parents. Uh, but uh, one guy who was the subject of this article believes that the source of his medical issues was neither a disease nor mental illness, but rather he attributed his health decline to caffeine the most commonly used socially acceptable uh, psychoactive substance in the world, according to the article in Esquire. Now, for years, this gentleman had been consuming close to 1,000 milligrams of caffeine per day, uh, two and a half times the daily recommended limit, and the equivalent of more than 10 cups of coffee. The habit had wreaked havoc on his central nervous system and in turn caused a myriad of physical and psychological problems. So uh, I, I thought I found it fascinating that this article. And I said, you know, I want to learn more about these psychological problems and the impact that that would have. And I said, who better than our guest, psychotherapist and author, Jill Robin Payne. Jill Robin Payne, welcome. Thanks, Rich. I, I really enjoyed the article. It was a long article. Very long, very long. Very I was long. like, man, yes. this guy really did a lot of homework <laughs> here. And, and you know, <laughs> I, it was it was interesting because I see yeah. something like that, and I'll be honest, I'm offended by the title. Is it time to quit coffee for good? I'm thinking, no, <laughs> F you. No, absolutely not. You know, I'm, I'm a coffee guy. But I also have gone through my own journey where I used to, and I was just, during the break, I was telling our producer, um, you know, in my 20s and in my teens, and I was a coffee guy, and it graduated to, you know, four cups a day, five cups. I got to the full pot. Then I started brewing the second pot around 4 p.m. And and there was a lot of reasons for this. I was overweight. I uh, I didn't exercise well. But I also um, had sleeping issues, had sleep apnea. 
And then I got operated and had this surgery that alleviated the sleep apnea and had less of a need for caffeine and started to reduce my caffeine intake. And even for, I'd say maybe a year and a half, I was a tea guy and I didn't have caffeine from coffee, but I had it in, in tea. And I realized that when somebody once told me, I was like, oh, I need to stop for coffee. And they said, that's nothing more than anger in a cup. And I said, wow, anger in a cup. I never thought of it that way. And I realized how susceptible I was to flipping the bird, getting angry behind the wheel, all of those things that you do in you know East Coast driving. And, and I thought, maybe I should drink less coffee. And I started to drink less coffee and consume less caffeine. And voila, I'm, uh, I'm so much A, happier and B, calmer and less anxious behind the wheel and all that stuff. So um, I, I get that some of that, you know, coffee does get you wired to a degree, but what are some of the psychological effects that, you know, you, you may have perceived in your practice over the years and overall your reaction to the article? Well, the, my reaction was, and I was just talking to Tom, is basically that our genetics are going to affect how, we're, how we are affected with mm. coffee. And so some people are going to be affected more than others, just like the person in the article. Uh, people that have anxiety, I, I really wouldn't recommend that they drink a lot of coffee or drink coffee at all. Uh, people right. that have high blood pressure or uh, people that even have mood, mood issues. So um, it, it all depends on who you are. And when you were drinking more and more, uh, people build a tolerance with coffee and it, it does get you restless, nervous. It causes people not to sleep. So I'm surprised yeah. you were using it for sleep apnea. And uh, well, wait, so it because you- I would wake up tired. So I needed more of a because oh, I didn't I sleep well. Okay. Yeah. Yes. And, and one or two cups is fabulous. It does wake you up. It's when you drink more than the two cups. And then, uh, you know, if you have one cup, it's really very good for you, actually. They say for your mind and, and things like that. And even your mood, it, it makes you feel better. So uh, it's, it's how much you drink. Yeah, it's how much you drink. And uh, so if you overdose in it, and which is called caffeine intoxication, uh, then you can get this where you're, uh, you have this uh, fl- rambling flow, like I'm doing right now, a rambling <laughs> flow of thought and speech. And, uh, you know, your heart can be irregular. Uh, you can uh, just have this, you're excited all the time and you're on high alert, which can cause you to be agitated or um, easily, you know, fly off the handle. So these are some things that will happen if you drink too much. And I myself have lowered my dosage because I noticed that (laughs) when I was having six cups, I I have a lot of energy anyway, Rich. And so I can't see you flying off the handle. Actually, I I don't, but you know, I do have a husband. And so you know how that is with your spouses. With everybody else, I'm pretty good. That's not Um, the coffee. That's, That's just how that works. (laughs) <laughs> That's just how that works. You got it. Uh, so anyway, one or two cups and, you know, that just gets me going and I, I enjoy it. So everybody needs to know their limit. And, uh, the, you know, if you stop and you start getting a withdrawal, that means you probably need to drink less coffee. And that would be a lot of times people will stop if you go on vacation or someplace for a day and they don't have coffee. Heaven forbid, you'll get this big headache and you'll feel yeah. exhausted 
that might give you a, a sense of eh, maybe you need to decrease your coffee intake. Yeah. And I've, like I said, I've been through a, a, a lot of that stuff, uh, both the, um, the, the excess of it, the caffeine intoxication. I've been through that where my heart was jumping out of, you know, there's times where I've done right. radio late at night, not this even later. And, uh, and I've had yeah. to, you know, I hit the, the, the large espresso at like, you know, 10 PM or something. Right. Not a good idea. Right. Not a good idea. <laughs> that you, no, but your heart's I, I was going to say that, yeah, and I was going to say that we also don't realize that these energy drinks that a lot of kids are drinking and a lot of people are drinking nowadays because you're, yeah. you know, we're on 24-7. You're telling me you're working late at night and probably uh, working early in the morning, and so we need that energy. And those energy drinks have uh, about 100 milligrams of uh, caffeine in just a cup. So these are just things we need to know. And do you know they even put it in vitamins? So my husband today was looking at his vitamins. His didn't have it. But even in food, um, over-the-counter analgesics, uh, cold remedies, people just need to be aware of this so that they can total up their caffeine. You know, it's interesting you say that, but it's so true. And I, again, I was uh, like immune. I drank, you know, I drank soda as a kid. I would sneak it whenever I could. Uh, that right. turned into a teenage thing. I drank a lot of it. Then even as a young adult, I yeah. said, oh, let me get less sugar. I started drinking diet. But I, lots of caffeine and, you know, a whole pot of coffee a day, then the second pot. And and now as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in my 40s now, I'll be 45 tomorrow. Actually, I'll be 45 in 20 oh. minutes. And oh, happy birthday. Thank you. Cinco de Mayo is my birthday. It's one of the best birthdays ever. And um, oh, wow. the the um, I, I take a probiotic just, you know, it's supposed to be good for you. And one day right. I noticed I was jittery and I looked and I got the probiotic that said energy boost and it had caffeine in it. And uh, wow. what was that for? Who needs that? You know, it's like it makes you unnecessarily right. jittery. And And that wasn't the case, you know, 20 years ago. I was consuming, you know, Cuban coffee. It's like tar. You know, it's like, it, it's, right. it's like tar and 14 Red Bulls and you, you sweat while you're drinking it and it, it didn't do anything. I could take a nap afterwards, but uh, that's not the yeah. case anymore. Now, uh, yeah, this stuff definitely affects me. So um, good point that you make. It, it's all about the, the biological aspect of it. When we come back, I want to get your take on something the Surgeon General just said. And and it was that they just declared loneliness as an epidemic, saying it poses oh, as much yeah. of a risk as smoking and it's just as deadly as smoking a dozen cigarettes a day. So don't go anywhere, folks. Wrong with Jill Robin Payne. 833-4-VALDEZ is the number. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Dr. Vivek Murthy, the U.S. Surgeon General, says loneliness is an epidemic. We're used to thinking about smoking and obesity as clear public health concerns. So you're saying loneliness is comparable to smoking in terms of the detriment to your health? Yeah, in terms of the risk that it poses for premature death, yes. Half of U.S. adults experience measurable loneliness, and it's greater among young adults. When you struggle with loneliness, when you're socially disconnected, it increases your risk of depression and anxiety and suicide, but it also increases your risk of physical illness as well. Loneliness increases the risk for heart disease, stroke, 
and among older adults, dementia. The cure, Dr. Murthy says, is not only personal change, but societal change as well. What we need to do is actually rebuild social infrastructure in our country. You're talking about changing the social fabric. Mm-hmm. That's been decades in the making. It, it's been decades in the making, but it's also something that I'm confident that we can address when, if we put our mind to it and if we act together. Among his recommendations, a focus on community organizations, mobilizing the health sector to raise awareness and reconsidering how we use technology. In-person matters. You know, uh, connecting online has its place, has its value, but it's not a substitute for in-person connection. We really do need both. Cultivating and supporting time together, face-to-face, because our health depends on it. Stephanie Gosk, NBC News. All right, so you just heard the report that the um, Surgeon General has declared loneliness an epidemic and says that it poses risks as deadly as smoking. In so much as uh, smoking, they're talking about smoking, it's as deadly as smoking a dozen cigarettes daily. Uh, costing the health industry billions of dollars. And uh, this was uh, Tuesday that they made this declaration. We talked about it briefly on Tuesday, but I I wanted to get your take on it because uh, obviously this is your business. When people feel, you know, up against the wall, they're calling you, not me. I mean, sometimes they call me, but, you know, I laugh and we laugh together. You know, you're you're the pro here. And and I I find it, um, it doesn't surprise me in the least because, I you know, when I put my political hat on, I was very critical of the response of let's shut down the country and lock everybody inside. I thought that was insane. And again, if you do it for a day or two, a week, okay. But it was forever. 15 days to flatten the curve was like 25 months. And and I I see it in my own family. I see people that just act different now that, you know, like, you know, I have some very vibrant people. I have an 84-year-old family member that she was everywhere drinking beers at every wedding very lively right. now she's like oh i don't know if i can go oh i need a mask i need that you know and, right. and it's a shame right. not that it's she's responsible i get it but yeah. it's just life it was life-changing for her and right. and i look at that and i say oh my gosh jill robin Payne, what are you seeing out there i'm seeing the same thing and that's that's why I wrote the book Empathy, which is Banner with Empathy. And I, as you mm-hmm. see, my voice got quiet because our, I'm, I really am concerned about our kids. And, and you're what happened? Yeah, I'm empathizing. Uh, but what happened with your relatives and the people out there, we get conditioned very easily. And so that when we day after day uh, are told to be away from people and are made to be away from people, then we get used to it and we get uncomfortable if we are with people. So it, that's, that's what happened. One thing. The other thing is something called collective trauma. Everyone, even if you don't feel you're traumatized like me, I'm smiling, you're laughing. Uh, there's been a change in all of us a little bit mm-hmm. because we went through something that was very traumatic. And so these are some things that are going on, plus they're exacerbating what was happening already, Rich, and that was the kids were starting to isolate. There's a lady called Sherry Turkle. She wrote a book alone together about 20 years ago, maybe 15, basically saying we're on our phones and we're with people, but we're alone we're not with those people. We're, we're on our phones. Even we're when my present, son, who, when we're together, yeah, 
When my son was growing up, he did what was called grouping. They didn't date. They went in groups. It was too scary to go one-on-one. So what we need to do, mm -hmm. so we are social creatures. We need to be with people. We need touch. We need physical touch. So I'm recommending to everybody out there to do a 20-second hug, even with your dog. It really does help. It gets all these feel-good drugs in us and decreases cortisol, which is a stress hormone. Uh, These are some things that you don't even have to be with people. Just hug a teddy bear. But we need to have touch. And, you know, people like you and me, we can model appropriate behavior and get these kids to be out there more. But this loneliness is, is really bad. I have some clients come to me and they're literally, these kids are crying to me because they were taught at home. Uh, they, they resent that. They really wanted to be with friends. Now they don't know how to be with friends. They don't know how to act. Um, they, you know, I'll talk to them about certain things. They go, well, I'm scared to do that. So, um, so this is what's going on and we just need to model and get them to do baby steps to maybe uh, go out and be with people one-on-one and it's a necessity. Folks, great advice. Uh, We're on with Jill Robin Payne. That's Payne with an I. You can check her out at jillrobinpain.com. When we come back, uh, we're going to have some uh, closing thoughts from her because I want to follow up on something you talked about, cortisol. Um, I want to find out what else creates cortisol and uh, see how we could avoid that stuff. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And uh, yes, get your mind out of the gutter. It is Jill with an I, pain with a Y. JillRobinPain.com is the website. Jill Robin Payne, uh, we left off. I asked you to hold your thought. Go right ahead. Right. And cortisol. cortisol. Yes. Did you want me to, to continue? Okay, continue. Yeah, just maybe so, in 30 seconds or a minute, let us know what causes yeah. that so we don't do those things. Well, when we need it, uh, so when we are stressed, it helps, it's, it's a stress hormone. So it helps us regulate the body's response to stress. The problem is if we're constantly stressed 24 seven, just like mm-hmm. we're inundated constantly with all this news, um, it will, you know, that fat around your middle, that's, yep. that's caused by that cortisol. And then it creates bone loss, diabetes, high blood pressure. So you want to control your stress. Stress is a good thing. If you didn't have any stress, like if I don't put any pressure on a pen, it doesn't write. So we need some stress. We just need to have homeostasis. So we need to counteract that by exercise. Physical fitness is one of the best. And then, of course, having a great support system, which is one thing that you talked about, being with people. It can be family, friends, doctors, therapists, uh, anybody that you can talk to and feel safe with. And, uh, and even your nutrition will help. So and these give are them some a hug for 20 just, seconds. It, that is wonderful. My husband and I do that. And it is, you, you laugh. Yeah, we count one, two. <laughs> <laughs> and you feel, you feel immediately, 
do it with someone. You will feel yeah. so much I'm, better. I'm I about to make a t-shirt that says, I give 20-second hugs. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. You'd get a lot of people coming up to you. There That's you go. funny. All right. Let me remind people uh, where they could find you. Jill Robin Payne. She's a psychotherapist and author of Banter and Empathy. Bempathy. Check out the book. Get three copies. Get Keep one. Give two away. And check out her website, Jill Robin Payne. That's Payne with a Y. Jill with an I. JillRobinPayne.com. Jill Robin Payne, thank you so much. Uh, always excellent uh, information and analysis when you, are, when you join the show. Thanks, Rich. It's a pleasure. Yeah, and anything else that you want us to, uh, is there an, uh, a social media um, handle that you want to give the audience? It's Jill Robin Payne. If they look up Jill Robin Payne, they'll find me on Instagram and on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. Well, thank you again, and Godspeed to you. Oh, ditto. Bye. All right, take care. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. It is Open Phone America, and we're going to get to your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4VALDES is the phone number. Let your voice be heard, and let it be heard now. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And good evening. Uh, it is Cinco de Mayo, even though it's still the Thursday edition, but it is technically Cinco de Mayo. And um, we're taking your calls and more, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. A couple of things uh, I want to get to before we jump into the calls. There is a, a clip of audio that I want you to hear because it's making its rounds on social media. And uh, some people might think it's new. It's not new. It's from 2016, but it's still an egregious story nonetheless. Listen to this. If you do a Google search on the former head of the Charlotte LGBT chamber, you don't see all the great work he did for the gay community. The first thing you see is his name on the sex offender registry. Chad Severance Turner was once a youth minister found guilty of fondling a teenage boy. Now, as one of the loudest voices in support of the non-discrimination bill that protects the LGBT community in public places, his past is coming to haunt him. Well, I think it's important for information to come to light. Dr. Mark Harris of First Baptist Church fought against the anti-discrimination bill, citing public safety. So to have a convicted sex offender backing it underscores the fear. To have someone that is a, a major proponent in pushing this uh, to actually have been a part of a crime or an issue 
I, I think was uh, very unwise at best. The new president of the LGBT chamber sees things differently. In order to find anything to distract the conversation, suddenly now we bring up Chad's past. Melissa Morris says Turner stepped down to keep the attention on the public issues, not his personal past. It's unfortunate for everyone in the community who's been fighting for these non-discrimination issues to be resolved, that we're no longer talking about those issues. We're talking about something that happened nearly 20 years ago and is completely irrelevant to the conversation. Now, Morris says she still backs Turner and all the work that he's done for the community, but she says there's still a lot more work to be done, especially since a recent poll found the majority of people want this ordinance either overturned or sent to the voters for them to decide. Reporting in Uptown, I'm Tanya Mendes, NBC Charlotte. All right, so that's Tanya Mendes and this other woman, Turner. And you hear this report, and again, from 2016, and it's making its rounds again because it's still just as crazy. And, and, and what's crazy about it is not the, uh, what they're saying, that we're taking our attention off of the important work in the LGBTQ community. No, you're an a-hole. You are an absolute a-hole if you pick your spokesperson to be a former pedophile who was a youth minister and was a disgraced youth minister because he fondled a young boy. Now, to sit here and say that they're living in the past, well, guess what? It's called the real world, right? There's right, there's wrong, and there's real. And in real life, that's real. That's how you're going to be treated. I believe in forgiveness. I really do. And and I, I, I want the, the best for everybody in this situation. But guess what? I know what real life is like. And in real life, that's not how it works. In real life, you know, you can say, you know, I know my rights. I get pulled over by the cops and uh, I could tell them, listen, I, you, know, you work for me, you know, and uh, I can say what I want. I, I demand a sergeant. I demand this and you all the rights in the world. Right. That's that's right. But then there's real. Right. And in real life, we see things go awry all the time because there's certain ways to handle things. And that's not the way to handle it. And this isn't the guy. If this is the guy that you want as your spokesperson, then you're looking for trouble and you're looking for people to associate your entire movement of the LGBTQ chamber with this guy's past as a sex offender. Somebody that's on a, a, a sex offender registry because of fondling a young boy while they were a youth minister. If you think that's a good idea, that's a good look for your movement, then Stick with it. You'll keep resigning and keep resigning, and you'll keep trying to sell the public the idea that, no, but all this important work we're doing, of course it's overshadowed. Take your head out of your rear end and wake up. That's got to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard, that, you know, people are, don't be stupid. Be smart. Have somebody that, that's, that's a, a, an actual role model for the community, and, and people will respect that and say, all right, well, you know, this is what they're doing there. I mean, this is just one of the dumbest things ever, and I just wanted to comment on that because clearly it's still a big story that it's making its rounds on social media. Uh, speaking of transgender, because this guy was leading the charge for people to eliminate what they called um, bathroom discrimination, where they wouldn't let certain people use the bathroom. He was saying, no, we got to eliminate the discrimination in the bathroom and allow people to uh, you know, use the bathroom that they, they want to use. So I'm supposed to follow the lead here of this uh, this guy, Severance, the uh, convicted um, sex offender? Come on. Be smart. Anyway, uh, speaking of transgender, 
a transgender lifeguard application was rejected for exposing their breasts in front of kids at a pool. This transgender person was rejected for a life job, uh, life job, take four, a lifeguard job with the city of Jacksonville last week. Last week, I can't talk anymore. After midnight, I, I don't speak anymore. For going topless during tryouts in front of dozens of children, according to city officials. So this is a biological woman that identifies as a man and decided to dress like a man by coming in with swimming trunks and no shirt. Now, while that's fine for men who don't have the breasts that women have, this individual is a trans man that has female breasts. And uh, here's a quote from the article. Through uh, a citizen expressing concerns, my administration became aware of an incident where a biological female trainee in a lifeguard program was topless at one of our public pools. That's according to Mayor Lenny Curry in a statement that he put out. The unnamed applicant, a biological female who now identifies as male but had not had their top surgery to remove their breasts just yet, was vying for a position with uh, 20 other trainees as young as 15 years old at the Cecil Aqua Center. The person's top was removed during a training exercise as dozens of children and their parents who were sharing the pool looked on in shock. So dozens of people were shocked. Now, of course, we're going to sit here and we're going to shame the dozens of people and the children. How dare you look at this person? This is a man. This this is a person that, you know, uh, um, with a uterus, but it's a, it's a man. We are living in a state of crazy, and we have to not call it anything other than crazy. And uh, forgive me if I'm coming across as harsh here. I, I don't mean to belittle anyone, but... When we're, when this is the, the level we're at, your problem is becoming everyone else's problem. Your lifestyle choice is becoming everyone else's problem, right? These people have to go and explain to their children, whatever and whatnot. And of course, that's okay to you. If you're a proponent of this, you're like, well, hey, what's wrong with, with some boobs? Free the boobies, right? There's a whole movement about that. People don't want to change their entire life and, and entire cultural norms just to accommodate something that the diagnostic statistical manual says is a legit mental illness. And this is not from a position of being bigoted in any way. This is just common sense. In my opinion, I would never say, look, I like to eat half a pizza, four slices. I like to be 250 pounds and I'm not, I'm 210 pounds. But when I was heavier, I was 270 pounds. It would be insane for me to say, look, just because you choose to eat healthy and because you choose to, you know, be in, in the right weight for your height and frame doesn't mean that I have to stop imposing your white supremacist, uh, gender, blah, 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 body specific, whatever rules on me and, and call you some sort of supremacist. I could have said that and said, no, you know, my, my people, the brown people, we, we eat rice and beans and pernil, roast pork. And guess what? We're, we're, we're thicker and curvier and, and heavier and more big boned and huskier and whatever words I want to use for euphemisms. But the reality is I, I could do that and try to make you succumb to my will. But it's still wrong. It's still wrong to do such a thing. And we're getting to a place where we're losing right from wrong. I don't know. Call me crazy, but that's where I, I feel we are. 
Uh, anyway, I want to get uh, th- those topics, your reactions, and more straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, to the phones we go. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're going to get your thoughts on everything we're discussing tonight. Uh, make sure you check out the show live. Uh, if you're not listening on the radio, you could check it out at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. You could leave a comment there as well, as well as listen to older archived episodes and share it with your friends and family. All right, let us go to Denise Egg Harger, Harbor Township, New Jersey, on WOND. Denise, welcome. Uh, yeah, great. First of all, happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, it's my son Wes's birthday also. Oh, I'm going cool. from happy birthday, Wes. Yeah, I'm going from Egg Harbor to Richfield uh, in the morning. And um, basically, I called to um, make a comment about, um, I know it might be like mental disease, but why is the Hunter laptop issue being put on limbo in limbo. Yeah. Well, good point. I, I mean, there was some speculation initially. I mean, first of all, the, the, the laptop thing that was suppressed because it was going to be bad for the campaign. So they, you know, the media was complicit in the cover up of that saying it was Russian disinfo and it wasn't. Then you have the legitimate investigation, right? Uh, they, they're considering charging him criminally. It's clear that he, there's violations of law and, and uh, they're they're not sure if they're going to charge him and whatnot. And uh, one of our legal experts, Doug Doug Burns, said that he doesn't believe that there will be a pardon. I don't know if I believe that. I think that there might be. I, I I don't think there's anything Biden can do where people turn on him personally. I think he just keeps smiling and squinting and looking like a a, a senile grandpa. And people continue to have uh, uh, empathy and sympathy. And they're just like, oh, he's Joe. He can sniff more kids' hair. It's okay. And, and I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think they're going after Hunter, but it's going to be slow because, you know, he his dad is president and uh, nobody wants to rock the boat and people want to look each other out. You know, one hand washes the other and it's Washington, D.C. Lamentably, I think that's Denise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that's yeah. honestly yeah. what it is. But thank you. I appreciate your call. Let's go to Barry in Atlantic City, also on WOND. Uh, Larry, go right ahead. Uh, Barry, excuse me. Hey. Okay, Rich. Rich, I really enjoy your program. Uh, well, I mean, thank you, you're Barry. A hard, you're a hard hitter, man. And, I mean, in response to uh, the previous caller, I, I go right along with her because this is it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. The one thing that's holding up all this, all this, what could be prosecute, prosecuting evidence against him is that should he be removed from office, you know who becomes president? <laughs> <Qué mala eres. laughs> 
is not yep. ready for that. I yeah, mean, you know, I, I think she'd be the best thing ever. But I agree with you. A lot of people are deathly afraid of a president Kamala Harris. Um, so you you might be onto something, Barry. I don't know. Now, where uh, are you? Are you right in uh, in Atlantic City near the boardwalk? Yes. Yeah, I like it down there. I, I don't get down there too much because it's a little bit of a ride. But uh, I like it down there. You got some of the older hotels, some of the newer hotels. It's it's always a good time down there. Yeah, hey, it's uh, it's it's doing well. It's thriving. So, I mean, what 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 we're looking at is that you know America isn't ready for that. I mean, let's yeah. let's, let's face it. You know, not ready we, for Kamala. We can act as though no, no, not at all, not at all. I mean, I'm an African American myself, but the but the fact of the matter is that should that occur, that is a a big pill to swallow. And they're not yeah, because she really sucks. I agree with you. She's not good at anything. She's not good at speaking. She's not good at executing. She wasn't good at the border. She became the border czar. She did nothing there. Um, she's not great. She's really just not great at, at, at being an executive. So I, I agree with you. A lot of people are very fearful of, of a Kamala Harris vice president turned president. Uh, I'm not, though. I just think... I think she might be what, what we need for people to go, oh, this woman's terrible. <laughs> She's just absolutely horrible, and we've, we're going to have to vote for the other people. <laughs> and, and I think she, we win by default if we get Kamala Harris. Maybe maybe it's pie-in-the-sky thinking for me. But thank you, Barry, for the call. I appreciate it. I, uh, your kind words as well, very nice of you to say. And keep listening to the show. All right, let us uh, continue with your calls. Let us go to Marnie in Pittsburgh on KDKA. Marnie, happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy birthday to you. Oh, well, thank you. It's very sweet of you. I appreciate that. And what's on your mind tonight, Marnie? I just called basically to say happy birthday. And so far, everything you said, I agree with, especially the transgender. I cannot believe what I hear every day about what they're doing to children and it's yeah. just disgusting, and it is hard to swallow. It it really is. It's like watching mm-hmm. a science fiction movie. Just imagine if that lifeguard scenario that we just talked about was the other way around, and it was a uh, biological male that identified as a biological female, and you know was running around with his dingling out. You know, I mean, just in front of kids and all. Just just imagine if that was the case. I mean, it, would that outrage people? Would that make, or are we supposed to tell our kids, no, it's okay if grown men want, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's fair to children to, to have to sit there and explain the, the life choices of these, these uh, grown adults uh, when they should be the ones with the onus on them saying, hey, relax, there's little kids here. That's just my take on it, Marnie. But thank you very much for your uh, very sweet um, wishes for my birthday. I thank you very much. And a big shout out to you, Marnie, and everybody on KDKA. Let me see. We're going to get to the rest of your calls in a moment because if I pick on you now, you won't have enough time to really get through the entire call But uh, because we're about to hear the music. But I will uh, just um, elaborate on some of the crazy that's going on. There's a story on CNN right now, and, you know, I'm skeptical of CNN, but this one has some numbers to back it up. And uh, the the nation's uh, report card in U.S. history and civics, well, check this out. 
eighth graders are now showing a decline in history and civic scores. Duh, absolutely. We're, we're not producing um, future rocket scientists anymore, right? This is why when you, you, you go to a hospital and you're looking for a doctor or a nurse, have you noticed that many of them have been imported? Because they're better trained in other countries than we, than we can train them here. And that's, that's not cool. I mean, we should produce our own medicine in the United States. We should produce our own uh, medical providers in the United States. And there's nothing wrong with bringing in an expert from another country. But when you have the best medical schools in the world and you no longer produce the best doctors homegrown, there's a problem. And we shouldn't turn a blind eye to that. At least that's my take. Anyway, your calls and more coming up straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. We're coming right back. that story a little bit on the eighth graders. Listen to this. So we've got some eighth graders. Oh, by the way, we're going to get to your calls in a moment. 833-482-5337. If you want to weigh in, 833, the number four, Valdez, give us a call. Test scores for eighth grade students are in decline in U.S. history and civics. Now, isn't that fascinating? That some of the, the most important things to understanding how your country works and they're saying this is following prior declines on math and reading. So what exactly are our students excelling in? Obviously, the course on TikTok. Uh, but these test scores for eighth graders in uh, the U.S. have declined in history and civics in 2022, according to a news report from the National Assessment of Education Progress, also referred to as the nation's report card. The announcement of the new lower scores came after the assessment uh, reported last fall that scores for American nine-year-olds in reading and math fell by a level not seen in decades. And I remember when that came out. Uh, a quote from the article, just so that you could uh, take a look at this. Self-government depends on each generation of students leaving school with a complete understanding of the responsibilities and privileges of citizenship. That's uh, Peggy Carr. She's commissioner of the National Center for Education Statistics, which administers the assessment. And I agree with her. And she says, but far too many of our students are struggling to understand and explain the importance of civic participation, how American government functions, and the historical significance of events. These results are a national concern. I'm going to rephrase that and say these results are a national crisis in history. They've seen scores that were consistently declining since 2014. Uh, in 2022, the score on a scale from zero to 500 decreased by five points compared to 2018, and it's approximately nine points lower than it was back in 2014. So 
it's a consistent decline and uh, not a good thing. The declines were seen uh, across various American history themes, including democracy, culture, technology, and the changing role of the United States in the world uh, overall. In 2022, 40% of students scored below basic proficiency and an increase of uh, six percentage points since 2018. Eighth grade students performing the uh, proficient level should be able to incorporate geographic, technological, and other considerations in their understanding of U.S. historical events, but they're not. And uh, then you've got, listen to this. This is a horrible one. Eighth graders focused mainly on U.S. history also declined from 72% in 2018 to 68% in 2022. So again, you're seeing these numbers uh, go down. And uh, 72% isn't a great number to begin with. 68 is even worse. So that's where we are with with this. Uh, to me, this is, uh, you, you know, when I was on the school board and we always asked ourselves, is this a teaching problem or a learning problem? And sometimes it was both. This is clearly a teaching problem when you have it across the board. This is not one class where you're analyzing, you know, if half the class learned it or three quarters of the class learned it, uh, then maybe it's a few students that, you know, need extra attention. No, this is clearly we're not doing well. And then on top of that, we lock up our children. And uh, how do you think that's going to help anybody anywhere? That's absolute um, insane asylum stuff, in my opinion. And when you combine that with a teacher's union that's more interested in defending the bad behavior of some of their members than defending children in a classroom, well, that's the entire recipe for disaster. And uh, here's a story in the New York Post. Listen to this. Unbelievable. Teachers convicted of molesting a teen. This teacher kept a top 10 list of attractive students. This teacher is every parent's worst nightmare. A former West Virginia teacher convicted of molesting a 14-year-old girl also kept a list of the top 10 most attractive middle school students and was caught masturbating on school property multiple times, according to a new lawsuit. The civil action contends that the uh, school administrators quote, turned a blind eye to Ronald Paul Harris's perverted behavior during his time as, guess what, a history teacher. And he was also a basketball coach at Oak Glen Middle School in New Cumberland in uh, the decade prior to his sexual abuse conviction. Now, the 63-year-old is now serving a 10 to 20-year sentence after admitting last September to abusing a high school freshman back in 2010 who was working after school as a classroom helper. The now 27-year-old survivor is suing the Hancock County School uh, in West Virginia and the Board of Ed and the that uh, the then middle school principal, David Smith, who's since been promoted to high school principal. <laughs> the victim claims that the school officials failed to protect her from the teacher. Her lawyers told the Post that they believe they may have other victims, adding that they hope that this victim's courage inspires others to come forward. Now, when you look at this guy, he looks like a sicko. 
He absolutely does. Ronald Paul Harris. When you see us, I'll, I'll put this out on social media so you could see it. But oh my gosh, it's at Rich Valdez with an S on Twitter. That's where I'm going to put it so you could see it quickly. Um, here's one parent saying uh, this: this is this case is every parent's worst nightmare. Uh, then we have that's one of the lawyers. Then we have one of the parents saying to learn that your child was groomed and sexually abused by a teacher is beyond awful. It's made even more terrible knowing that the administrator at the time of the abu- abuse was in a position to stop the abuse or prevent future instances of abuse and instead turned a blind eye. I agree with that. That's absolutely horrible. That that guy might be worse than the guy doing the molesting because he's allowing a molester to exist. And, and unless you're a molester too, then I think you're you're worse in many ways, or at least just as bad. Very, um, very troubling stuff. Uh, I think this is one of those areas that in my lifetime was always off limits. You weren't ever allowed to, to take advantage of children. We've seen this happen in, in the Catholic church where they, uh, brushed a few things under the rug and now we're seeing it happen in public schools and that we just can't allow that to be the case. I mean, really, this is, uh, out of control anyway. Uh, We're going to continue on this topic and more when we come back. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337. Happy Cinco de Mayo, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Cinco de Mayo. Cinco de Mayo marks uh, Mexico's um, very unpredictable victory. It was kind of against all odds uh, when uh, the French were invading Mexico back in 1862. Uh, So it's not their independence. It's the fact that they won against the French. But USA Today says, for most Americans, it's simply Cinco de Drinco, which I thought was very funny. (laughs) Because I can tell you that having a birthday on Cinco de Mayo is uh, really exciting because you can go just about anywhere and they are turning up the party. I mean, anywhere. I One year, I went to Hoboken, New Jersey and did some bar hopping. And uh, I can tell you, complete strangers. I had a blast. I was like meeting my friends there. So, you know, I walked into a place where my friends were there already, but they were at the back and the place was packed. And all I could tell you is, boy, I just walked in. People were just, hey, you know, it's, it's like they don't, everybody was celebrating everybody, you know, and then, um, somebody, uh, was like, Hey, happy Cinco de Mayo. And I said, yeah, happy Cinco de Mayo to you too. And we got to talking. And when they learned it was my birthday, they started shouting to everybody and everybody was trying to buy me a drink. The next thing you know, there was a fish bowl with a fish in it, not a real fish, but like a fake fish, but it looked like a real fish bowl. 
and it was filled with, I don't know what, they made this, you know, some sort of mixed drink and they started passing it around and everybody was drinking from it and they passed it to me and I was like, oh, I don't want to drink from the community fishbowl. Uh, but, but I did, I'll admit I did, I had a straw and I took a sip and, uh, you know, I, I, I participated and I didn't get mono or anything. It was many years ago, but uh, it was a great time in Hoboken, New Jersey, at one of the bars there. And it, it was just a nice time. And it's kind of like you know St. Patrick's Day, another time where you know everybody's Irish that day and everybody's having a good time. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's a lot of fun if you're not uh, AOC all out crazy because I'm pretty sure she could find something to complain about. And, um, and when it comes to that, but anyway, I don't want to get off track here. I was talking about something in particular. And there was a story that I wanted to get to that's uh, escaping me. Hold on a second. Bear with me, folks. Live radio. Things change on the fly here. Oh, yeah, here it is. So we were talking about crazy things, right? Listen to this one. The island that Jeffrey Epstein owned uh, where he did his, you know, all this crazy stuff that he did, Epstein Island, pedophile island as they called it, um, has been bought by a financier who is now going to make it into a private resort. So just imagine that. Now, I don't know if he's going to say, hey, by the way, uh, you get to pay top dollar to come to my resort. And this used to be pedophile island. (laughs) Uh, But the private islands that were, um, you know, the nexus in the Jeffrey Epstein uh, abuse and trafficking of women um, are going to be turned into a resort. And there's Great St. James, And then there's a smaller one where everything happened, Little St. James. And they've been in limbo ever since Epstein's death in 2019. So I'm guessing that it was sold somehow. It says here that Stephen Deckoff paid $60 million for Great St. James and Little St. James through his company, SD Investments. Now, a spokesperson told NPR that Deckoff is the founder of Black Diamond Capital Management. I don't know why that's important, but that's clearly in the article. The purchase price reflects a steep discount from the $110 million for which the two properties were recently being listed. Little St. James is about 71 acres and includes a helipad, a private dock, a gas station, a high-capacity water filtration system, two pools, uh, and the main compound. It has four guest villas, three private beaches, a gym, a tiki hut, and other buildings according to its real estate listing. Let me tell you, that's when you know you've arrived, when you purchase yourself an entire island. Man, talk about fun. Now, uh, the uh, the pair of islands initially went on the market in March of 2022. Listen to this. With a $125 million asking price. That's a fortune. Right. I mean, most people I know aren't even worth one hundred and twenty five million, let alone paying that just to, to have an island. But it's pretty cool to be like, what do you do? Oh, I own an island. <laughs> That's got to be fun. Anyway, um, if you buy an island, give me a call. Let me know what's going on. Eight, three, three, four Valdez. Let me see. Where did I want to go here? Let's go to the phones. Uh, let's go to Pat in Sedona, Arizona. KNFO in Aspen is where he's listening. Pat, welcome, my brother. Hey, Rich. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you, Pat. You're the man, bro. You're what, 42 or 28? 45. 45. Oh, man. Oh, man. You know, that, that's a, you're, you're, you're still a kid. I'm not, I got gray hair in my beard, Pat. And me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> hey, I wanted to talk 
to you about something I've been watching. And I saw something on TikTok a little while ago. It's about uh, Clarence Thomas, the, uh, the Supreme Court justice, and they're after him and for staying at a uh, one of his wealthy friends' house and took airplane flights. And you know what? Uh, there's a, I think he's a senator from uh, Texas. Oh, God, I wish I, 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 his name's this off my tongue again, but he, yeah. uh, he, he, he I, I think you know who I'm talking about, but. He, I think uh, you're talking about Cornyn, but tell me more. Well, he was talking about uh, how this committee is witch hunting a man who is African-American, but reflects himself as a black American, proud to be, and that once and for all, he is not a victim. He yeah. is not a victim, and everybody's been after him on the Democratic Party, and they shamed themselves most certainly. Because I'll tell you what, you take Clarence Thomas and LeBron James. Okay, one's a very tall, athletic human being. One's a very educated, self-worth human being. LeBron James considers himself a victim, being a multimillionaire that he is, because he's an Af- he's an African American, hence African American. And Clarence Thomas reflects himself as a Black American. That he is not a victim. That he has the wherewithal to rise to the highest level of of uh, jurists in our country as a Supreme Court justice, and that. They just don't like him because he doesn't go around crying about being a victim. And uh, uh, Jackson is the newest one. Oh, Katanji Brown Jackson. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just want to chime in real quick, Pat, and you, you can go right ahead when I'm done. But so interesting that when she was nominated, I think Time Magazine, of all places, you would think they, they would have some uh, responsibility in their journal, journalism, uh, said, first African-American Supreme Court justice, first black person elected, uh, nominated, uh, appointed to the Supreme Court. Uh, and, and I thought Clarence Thomas did that and he did it a long time ago. And it's amazing how they will slight Clarence Thomas every step of the way, Pat. I know it's, it's, it's disgusting. I mean, it really is. He, he's a very intelligent man. And uh, I have I have relatives there. Uh, well, one relative who is now a retired federal judge, and she knows him. She knew a lot of the men. Well, and pa- women. Hang on, I don't want to rush you on that story, but um, they're in my ear telling me we have to take a break. So hold on to that. I'm going to come right back to you after the break. You can tell me about your relative and her knowledge of Clarence Thomas. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, quickly, we're going to go to Frank in Akron, Ohio, WNIR. Frank, go right ahead. Thank you, Rich, and happy birthday to you. And uh, Thank you, sir. I appreciate I think it. That, no, thank you. And uh, I think that'd be a wonderful topic for uh, 
a whole evening for you about the decline of our education and our system and, and our government. But to touch upon some of the things, because of the atrocities done and and because of the, the puppeting and, and children, we see that as voting American citizens and taxpayers. And we pass that down, you know, uh, to our children. You know, the lack of uh, faith in our government and their government institutions. And I'm just going to chime in and say the lack of faith, right? There's a lack of faith in faith, uh, not only of of our government and our institutions, but you're 100% right uh, when when you say that. Uh, Go go right ahead, Frank. you got about 25 seconds. Okay. And it's a lack of faith in God being in charge or being a holy creator, sovereign creator. So Mm -hmm. a lack of faith in the Christian community and the people that want to think they're Christians and the believership. I think that's, it's, it's a decline. You know, it says, it's written, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And I see all these weather conditions going around the country, mm-hmm. and I'm just wondering if God's trying to, trying to tell us something about us as a nation. I don't, if you ask AOC, she'll tell you it's climate change. <laughs> Frank, thank you. Godspeed to you. I appreciate your call and your comments. And Pat, I'm sorry I didn't go back to you. That's my ADD. That's on me. I'll talk to you soon. Give us a call back. Hasta mañana. Hasta la próxima. Happy Cinco de Mayo. The Ed Milet Show showcases the greatest peak performers sharing their journey, knowledge, and thought leadership. This is one of the all-time best pieces of advice ever given on the show. Actor Rain Wilson. The number one thing that psychologists point to with young people of why they are struggling so much in this mental health epidemic is they don't have resilience. So how do you build resilience if you don't understand suffering itself? The Ed Milet Show is available on YouTube or wherever you listen. 